0: The presidential election is Tuesday, less than a week away at this point, And there are a lot of questions about the race this year. Biden has a lead in national polls, but how much does that really matter? Which states are key for Trump and Biden to win? And what would need to happen for us to actually know who the next president is on election night? It's a lot to navigate. So we turned to an election day veteran, Wall Street Journal political reporter Catherine Lucy, and asked her— what you should be thinking about as results come in. Welcome to the journal, our show about money, business and power. I'm Ryan Knutson. It's Friday, October 30th. Coming up on the show, What to Watch for in the Final days of the election? Our colleague Catherine Lucy has been covering this year's election, and it isn't her first rodeo.
1: I've been covering presidential elections for a long time. I covered the 2016 race, both nationally and from Iowa. Before that, I was based in Philadelphia, and I covered President Obama's campaigns from there as well. I mean, if you want to be, like, I I don't think you need to go back to when I was a college journalist and covered Bush v.
0: Gore. Ah, counts. That was a big one to start out with.
1: That was a big one. (laughs) That was a very long night.
0: Okay, let's start out with the polls. What are the polls showing just a few days out from the election?
1: Well, the national polls largely show Joe Biden with a substantial lead. And that's been true throughout the year. One of the things that's interesting about 2020 is how relatively stable a lot of the polls have been. Joe Biden has led in the Wall Street Journal polls consistently throughout the year. And national polls are helpful in showing us of how things are looking with some key groups of voters. But we don't have national elections. (laughs) So as I'm sure most of your listeners know, the path to winning the White House is through the Electoral College. That is through the states. You have to win 270 Electoral College votes. So what we really need to be looking at when we think about polls is polls in some key battleground states. And in a lot of those states, Joe Biden is also leading, but by tighter
0: margins, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that also the picture in 2016, when Hillary Clinton was leading in the national polls and a lot of the battleground states?
1: In 2016, the national polls showed Hillary Clinton leading, and ultimately she did win the popular vote. You know, So those polls were not necessarily inaccurate. But where we ran into issues were polls in some of these key states, and specifically in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, where sort of closing polls showed her leading in those states and ultimately Trump won all three of them. And there's a couple of of reasons for that that experts will talk about. One is just the nature of how many polls were actually being done in some of those states. And what that meant was that people who were deciding late in the race, a lot of those people broke for Trump and there just wasn't enough polling to capture that movement in the race.
0: Do you think some of those state polling problems could happen again?
1: So in terms of the state polls, we know that some of the pollsters in these states have made some changes to the way that they do their surveys to try and account for some of the issues from 2016. It is also, though, just a different race. In 2016, the election really was viewed as a choice between two unpopular candidates. And what you heard a lot from voters was, I didn't like either of them. I chose Trump because I didn't like Clinton. 2020 has not turned into that kind of choice election. For one, it has really remained a referendum on the president and his administration, and particularly his handling of the virus. But also, despite his efforts, the president has not been able to drive up sort of negative feelings about Joe Biden. In fact, our polling shows that in the last you know, couple of months, Biden's favorability ratings have actually improved. Democrats will say, I'm nervous, but the fact that his favorables, Biden's favorables, are where they are, they view as an encouraging sign.
0: So Catherine's paying close attention to state polls. Another thing she's watching are demographics.
1: That's another area that tells us a lot about where the electorate is. And there's a couple of key groups that have really turned away from the president and is part of the reason that he's having a hard time.
0: One of those key groups is suburban women. In 2016, Trump narrowly won the suburbs, but polls have shown that suburban women are having second thoughts.
1: I spent a lot of time in 2019 when it was easier to do such things, talking to women in the suburbs of Detroit and Philadelphia and cities like that in some of these key states. And what you'd hear from them a lot was, I don't like his rhetoric, I don't like the style, I don't like the tweets, but the economy is doing really well, my 401k is doing well, everyone in my family has a job. And that's just not the case anymore. The pandemic not only has been bad for the economy across the board, it's been particularly hard for women, and particularly women with children. And so the pandemic really robbed him of that
0: argument with those voters Here's Trump at a recent rally. Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please. Please.
1: I saved your damn neighborhood, okay?
0: Trump says he was being sarcastic, but...
1: That's very real for him. He is down among women in the suburbs by, you know, double digits.
0: Another group Trump is struggling with is seniors. To my favorite people in the world, the seniors. I'm a senior. I know you don't know that. Nobody
1: knows that. I mean, we all know seniors vote. Obviously, this is always a demographic that's watched really closely, and we know from our polling and others that seniors have been frustrated by the response to the pandemic, and the president has struggled with that. So, and you see that you know in some of the states with large senior populations. So, a part of the sort of closing pitch from the president and the RNC has been sort of ads directed at seniors around issues like health care. So they are trying to sort of bring some of those voters home.
0: If Trump is lagging with suburban women and seniors, he'll need to make up that difference somewhere. His strategy? Juicing the results he had in 2016 with white working-class voters.
1: So what the president is trying to do is really sort of turbocharge his 2016 strategy. And what he did in 2016 was he drove up votes in working class and rural areas. So areas that Democrats typically wouldn't win, but usually would get a higher percentage in, he was really blowing them away. So that's what he did last time. And what he's really looking to do again is get those voters out and try and get more votes out of those areas. That's why you see him in the closing days really going back to a lot of these areas like Green Bay, Wisconsin, say, or, you know, Western Pennsylvania. He's going back to his base. He's trying to really juice the turnout from his base.
0: But Joe Biden is also going after those white working class voters. Joe Biden,
1: he has made a very explicit appeal to white working class voters, has cast himself as you know, one of them.
0: And Scranton, my mom used to have an expression. She said, hey Joey, nobody's better than you, Joey, but everybody's your equal
1: he talks about how he's from Scranton. He talks about his upbringing. He's tried to sort of frame it as, you know, he's a Scranton guy while the president, you know, is from Wall Street, so to speak. So he's really looking to make that contrast. And he's campaigned in some of these areas himself. You know, after the first debate, he did a train tour that took him through parts of Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. So he has been making that pitch pretty aggressively. And Again, he doesn't necessarily need to win this demographic, but if he can, you know, chip away at it, you know, it it could matter.
0: So it's not about Biden fully flipping white working-class voters to his side. It's it's about Biden just doing slightly better with that group than Democrats did in 2016.
1: Think about it as chipping away at the president's margins. Biden doesn't need to win working-class white men. He just needs to take some of the edge away from the president. So if a county was, say, 80-20 for Trump last time, maybe Biden can make it 75-25. I mean, it's when you're talking about potentially thin margins, any number of things could edge it.
0: And if Biden is going to win, he'll need to chip away at Trump's base in key battleground states. Coming up, the states that matter most on the candidate's paths to victory. —
1: This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.
0: On Tuesday, all eyes will be on the states. Specifically, the states that each candidate needs to get to that magic number, 270 electoral votes. At a big picture level, how is the race to 270 electoral votes looking for Biden and how is it looking for Trump?
1: I think the big picture way to think about it is that... Biden is looking at a potentially expanding map in terms of his pathways to get to the number, and the president is looking at a narrowing path. And that means they both still have paths. They both still could do it, but the number of states that Biden is seeing at least as possibilities appear to be growing, whereas the president is looking at a fairly similar track to the one that he was able to take in 2016 which is that he'll need to hold a lot of the same states that he did, which would likely include Florida, it would include North Carolina, Georgia, Ohio, probably Iowa. And you're seeing very tight races in a lot of those states. —
0: What are the states that matter most for Trump? —
1: Three key states we'll be watching are the three Great Lakes states that he flipped from blue to red in 2016, And that's Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He is spending a lot of time in those states. He did three stops in Pennsylvania alone on Monday, for example. Those are states that he won by very narrow margins. And Democrats have been very aggressive in trying to take back.
0: And what about for Biden? What is Biden's path?
1: I mean, Biden is a little bit the inverse. Biden doesn't necessarily need to win all of the states that we just talked about for Trump— if he can take Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, that puts him in a good position.
0: So if I could just try to summarize what you're saying, it sounds like President Trump has a narrower path to victory. He's He needs to win most of the states he did in 2016, and Biden has more options.
1: Yes, that's right. What we're seeing Biden do in these final days is go into a lot of states that, you know, earlier in this year, you might not have thought that you'd see a Democrat in in the final days of the race. So he's going to be in Iowa. He's going to be in Georgia. So they are pushing hard in some of those states. You know, they're pushing in North Carolina. And they're also obviously pushing hard in Florida, which is a state both of the candidates are making a big play for.
0: I recall Hillary Clinton also doing that to some degree toward the end of the 2016 campaign trying to expand the map.
1: That is absolutely true. <laughs> she she made a big push towards Arizona at the end of her campaign. I think one key difference that Democrats would really point you to is that she did not spend time in Wisconsin, for example, as Biden has. So the Democrats were accused uh, last time of, you know, neglecting the so-called blue wall. And Biden has been very careful this time not to try and make that same mistake.
0: Obviously, this year is, is very different in terms of how people are voting. We've got a lot of people voting early. There's a lot of mail-in ballots. How do you expect results to start coming in. When do we when do you think we'll start seeing results?
1: It's complicated and one thing that people watching results need to understand is that there is certainly a scenario where we do not know results on election night. And that would be because of the scale of this, you know, early and absentee vote, which varies by state how they are counting it and how long they are accepting votes. So some states will still be accepting ballots that are postmarked by election day a certain number of days after. Some states will start counting ahead of election day. Some states do not. So that all affects what we
0: will know. So we might not know the winner right away, but are there states that we can watch on election night that could give us a strong indication, at least, of where things are going?
1: So Florida is a state to watch on election night, It's a state where we could get results or at least some of the results earlier than our locations because they've already started counting early ballots. So if one of the candidates has a decisive lead on election night, we may know that. You know, if we do know about Florida on election night, that's significant because it has a big number of electoral college votes. If Biden decisively wins Florida on election night, It's much harder to do a scenario where Trump can win. But if Trump wins Florida, as he did in 16, then we're likely looking at having to wait a little bit longer to figure out the results because it could well come down to Michigan and Pennsylvania, which are states that we don't expect to have results from for several days.
0: Well, any words of advice for listeners on how to try to survive election night?
1: hold on to the leftover Halloween candy, take a deep breath, and be patient.
0: That's all for today, Friday, October 30th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Linebaugh and me, Ryan Knutson, the show's produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nowetski, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rostrasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.